we're talking about how that faith is a rest. And this is week four. Don't let the titles fool you. I've just kind of put part one, two, three, and four on this. The reason why I'm doing it is just kind of flowing. And we're going through different aspects of the walk of faith. We're about to get into something. I can't tell you how important this is in the walk of faith. So many times we just focus on, you've got to, you know, you got to get the word in your heart and speak it out of your mouth. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that just hear the word of God and speak the word of God and never get far in their faith walk because they don't know about the foundational parts of your faith walk. The foundational parts is you see humility. People that have walked in great faith, you'll always see great humility. You'll see you can't walk in great faith without walking in great submission to authority. I mean, it's amazing. See, the enemy tries to mess people up this way. Show me great faith and I'll show you an individual that walks in great obedience. It's, it's, there's some foundational issues because in order to trust God with all of your heart, you have to know him. And in order to know him, you've got to honor him and respect him. You'll never, ever be able to trust him without that. So we're going to get into some of these things. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to just go back over just a little bit what we went through, a few verses. We kind of finished the service. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Hallelujah. I've got so many notes. It's amazing kind of what happens to you when you just think about one service all week, right? Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. You know, you got to realize this. You are made. You're made to walk in the love of God. It's not natural for you to walk in selfishness and self-centeredness. You have to jump into your flesh to do that. And although your flesh seems like it dominates, your spirit is to dominate. You're to walk by the faith of God. You're made, you're wired that way. You're not made to walk by sight. It's like a fish living out of water when you try to walk by sight. You're not made to figure it out yourself. The Bible says it's in Jeremiah, it's not even in man to know his own way. So you're made, you're wired to be led by the Spirit of God. So let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being less left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come or should seem to come short of it. So, so let's look at this because, as we said last week, this word fear. In the Greek language, we have to know the definition of that because in the King James, they translated this word fear and it makes, it makes a little, it brings a little confusion. This word fear in the Greek literally means to be cautious. It means to be aware and to be diligent. So he's saying, he basically is saying, let us therefore be cautious, be aware and be diligent, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, into God's rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So as we live in this world, in other, in other letters that Paul wrote, he said, be sober. That means think clearly. Don't think like a drunk person. Be vigilant. That means be ever on your guard. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. See, he can't devour everybody. He can't devour anybody he wants. You have to invite him into that. We said this last week, all of hell, Satan, every fallen angel, which would be a third of them in heaven at the time, who knows, God's a creator. He's probably created more angels by now. But at least a third at the time. Every demon, 
all the principalities, all the powers, all the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, couldn't keep a $20 bill from coming to you. Can't stop it. At best, we see in the New Testament that Satan can slow things down. Paul said, you know, I wanted to come to you, but he, I was hindered. But notice he still ended up going. He can never stop you. Who stops you is you and I. But no more, right? So verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. And this whole passage of Scripture is paralleling us in the church now with the children of Israel that died in the wilderness and never went in and, and obtained their inheritance. The gospel was preached to us, and also it was preached to them. But it says this, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So although God preached the gospel through his prophets, all this stuff, I've given you this land, it's a good land, the, I, the victory is yours, the battle's already mine, all this stuff, they never went in because they didn't mix faith with the gospel or with the word that they heard. In the same way, for you today as a child of God, if you will talk your circumstances instead of talking what God said in his word, you will not be able to go in and obtain your inheritance. But if you'll speak his word and mix faith with what you hear, oh, you'll go in. You'll obtain your inheritance. You'll walk and obtain your rest. See, the rest of God is wonderful. So we know faith comes by hearing God's word. Then what do you do? Then you mix God's word that you're hearing, you mix it with faith. And then... What will happen as you're, as you're mixing the word that you hear with faith. So now you're hearing the word and you're speaking the word. You're mixing it. Now what will happen, we call that meditating in the word. It will take you from being a hearer of the word to being a doer of the word. So all of a sudden, the faith along with the word that's in your heart will start motivating you to act. Now, the walk of faith, walking by faith and living by faith, is I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I believe in God's word. And in him now, I live and move and have my being. So now, what do I do? How do I act my faith? The word of God on the inside of you, that the Holy Spirit's bringing revelation, it will literally motivate you on what to say and what to do. So then you act on the word and you receive the promise. It's the way it works. Verse 3, at the beginning of verse 3, last week, it says this, For we which have believed do enter into rest. I want to focus just, I don't need to read the rest of that. We went through that last week. We which have believed do enter into rest. You cannot enter the rest of God if you don't believe. And here is the reality of all believing. Believing is a choice. So it all starts with a choice. You got born again because you made a choice to believe what you heard. And you ended up being made new, eternally secure. You'll get healed the same way. You're going to have to choose to believe what God's word says about healing versus what your body might be telling you. It's the same way to receive finances, the same way to receive everything, right? For we which have believed do enter into rest. In other words, we said this last week, I can judge whether or not I have believed, I can judge that by if I'm at rest or not. Now, what does it mean to be at rest? Being at rest means that I've ceased from my own works. I'm no longer trying to figure it out. I'm no longer trying to do it in my own strength. I'm resting. I'm only going to work out 
what God's working in. So now what I say and what I do is based on what I believe in the word of God. It's not based on what I see. It's not based on what I feel. Does that, so, so when I feel really weak, I'm gonna say what the Bible says. It says, let the weak say they're strong. When, I, when, I, when it seems like it's so confusing and I can't, I, it's like I'm blind. It's like I can't see what to do. What do I say? Let the blind say they can see. Right? And if, I'm, if, if I see lack all over my life, what, what do I do? It says, let the poor say they're rich. Because the Bible principle is this, you will have what you say. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. So if you're in poverty, that's not God's will, your tongue can lead you right out of it. Satan doesn't want you to know that. Believing will cause me to enter into God's rest where I cease from my own works. We said this last week, faith, faith, the highest level of faith is this, it's rest. Meet somebody who's just going, you know, I'm just believing God and I'm just, you know, I'm just toughing it out. No, 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 faith is a rest. If I'm just toughing it out, the problem there is, no, that's toil. You're trying to make that happen. And if you wake up and those symptoms are better, man, you're going to be all excited. Right? And boy, you get all excited. And then, then your symptoms get better. And then you're like, wow, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, Thursday, you wake up and you're like, woo. See, but if you're at rest... Whether your body's hurting, whether your body's not, you already know you're healed. You know that sickness, hey, he, you have to leave my body. You can't stay, right? So the place of rest, the highest level of faith is this. This is the place of being fully persuaded that what God said he provided for you, that's done. And God will bring it to pass. When he said he sent his word and healed you, it's done. And God will bring that to pass. When he said, I've met all your needs according to his riches and glory, it'll come to you through Christ Jesus, it's done. And God will bring it to pass. I'm fully persuaded. So now jump down to verse 6. Let's get into some new territory. Let's keep going with this. It says, seeing therefore, it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached, well, to whom it was first preached is the children of Israel, entered not in because of unbelief. And this is what I want you to see. The children of Israel did not mix faith with the gospel that they heard. Why didn't they? Because they were in what's called unbelief. Now, this word unbelief it literally in the Greek means an unpersuadableness. God was not able to persuade them. They lived on manna from heaven. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle. But God ended up saying about this generation, they do always err in their heart. They were unpersuadable. This is where so many people are at today. This word also means a rebellious disobedience. So when you see the word unbelief, it's always unpersuadableness, rebellious disobedience. The last part of this word literally means faithlessness, no faith. They entered not in because of unbelief. Verse, now let's jump to verse 9. It says, There remains therefore a rest to the people of God, and now it's going to define rest, for he that is entered into his rest, God's rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. In the creation account, after the six days of creation, God rested on the seventh day. He ceased from his own works. 
Isn't it amazing how many people are trying, they're begging God, please God, can you please heal my body? Can you please take care of this need that I have? They're begging God, but God's not, he's resting. Why? He did, he's not resting because he was tired. Wow. Okay, I just, I, the sun, the moon, wow, the stars beat. Oh, I'm so tired. No. Or maybe it was just he created everything, then he created man, then he created woman, and he went, oh, wow. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I personally think he did really good on the woman thing, though. You know? So he didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was finished. And when you realize it's finished, then you're going to rest. Do you know if you have sickness in your body today, you know it's finished? It ha that has to leave. Poverty and lack has to leave your life. Why? Because you're anything? No. It's because God loves you. And God spoke. Isn't that awesome? This is Bible truth. Anybody who says anything else, I don't care who they are, how big their church is, or how big their ministry is, you got to ask them the question, where is that in the Bible? Because i got to tell you, they don't have any scripture for all that stuff. And we only believe God's word around here, right? Ceasing from our own works, as God did from his. Verse 11 it says this, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. So what are you and I to labor for? To enter into rest. Man, I just got to fight the devil. Well, okay. Jesus already, he already defeated him. Your labor is going to be to enter into rest because your flesh is going to want you to figure it out. Your circumstances will talk to you. They will start screaming at you. And you got to talk back to them in the name of Jesus. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. This word labor in the Greek, it literally means to make an effort to diligently study. How am I going to labor to enter the rest of God I'm going to make an effort to diligently study the Word of God because the Word is what does all the work, not me. It's not my job. It's not my job to heal my body. It's not my job to provide all the finances that I need. It's not my job to make this church be all that God wants it to be. Not my job. The Word will do that. The Word of God, Jesus, is the head of the church. Right? So he does it. So I make an effort. I diligently study. We call that putting God's Word first. How do I diligently study? Here, here it is laid out. Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 22. Number one, I've got to attend to his Word. I've got to put it first place. I've got to make a decision to incline my ear to all of his sayings, which is his Word, that means I've got to give his word my undivided attention. I don't divide, I don't flesh out for a little while and then, nope, I, I, I give it my undivided attention. I have to do what? I have to keep his word always before my eyes. That means I refuse to see myself having, being, or doing anything else other than what God's word says. And in doing this, I'm keeping God's word in the midst of my heart. And the word of God will be life to me. Because I found it. And it will be health or medicine to all of my flesh. So we got to take our medicine. See, it's like you have this. It's like an IV. You know, you go into a hospital and they got to get some stuff into you quick. They put a, put a hole in you with a little tube. And they just feed it directly in. That's what this it's just right here, all the time. Just IV. And here's the thing about it. This is the life of God pumping into my body. And then here's the other good thing. Then I've got God who is life on the person of the Holy Spirit. Down on the inside of me, Romans 8, 11, he is quickening my mortal body. He's healing it. He's restoring it to health. He's making my body whole. How often? 24-7. 
So what do I do? I just keep the word in my heart and in my mouth. That's how we walk in this. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to meditate in the word day and night, put it first, incline your ear to it, keep it ever before your eyes, right? Keep it in the midst of your heart. Guess what? You're going to fall after the same example of unbelief. In other words, you're going to be, even though you don't have to be, you've been given a measure of the very faith of God, it won't develop because you'll be unpersuadable. It'll be rebellious disobedience, a faithlessness. We see in the Bible that, that at times Jesus said, you have no faith. At times he said, you have little faith. And then there was a couple examples, and I want to get into them. I believe we'll get into them. The centurion, right? The Syrophoenician woman. Two examples where Jesus said, these people had great faith. What's really interesting, both of them did not have a covenant with God. You'll find great faith in very unlikely places. It's really interesting. But there is a lot of similarities to these two people. Humility, submission. They were not offendable. They, 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 they reverenced and honored the things of God. That's a foundation of faith. And see, see so many people in the church today, and it's so, you know, you got to be led by the Spirit in this society. It's harder today than any time in history to put God first because there's so many distractions. But we have so much more revelation knowledge we have been living in 2,000 years of New Testament revelation knowledge. We should be way further down the road. So we have more than enough to be able to handle this. Amen? Because remember, handling this, what is it? It's a rest. This is why the Bible says faith is a rest, but the way of the transgressor is hard. Being unpersuadable, being rebelliously disobedient, being faithless, that's hard. And everybody, we've all been there, right? Amen. If you can't say amen, as Brother Hagin said, say oh me, right? So it says here, verse 12, take heed, brethren, take heed. The word of God, once again, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And now it's going gonna, it's gonna to define the result of an evil heart of unbelief. See, when you're unpersuadable, when you are walking in a rebellious disobedience, I don't, I don't care what God's Word says, I'm upset, I'm going to feel this way, you don't understand my situation. When you're like that, you're faithless, and it's going to cause you, if God is here, it's going to cause you to do what? in departing from the living God. You're not going to run to him, you're going to be departing from him. Right? We have to watch this thing that we all have. It's as close as all of our flesh. It's called pride. And it will keep you from honoring God. It'll keep you out. There are people that will die and go to hell by the millions because of pride. I just don't believe the Bible. I believe there's multiple ways to God. Right? Well, that's okay if you want to believe that, but it's going to cost you eternity. And even on this earth, it's not going to be good. Because pride brings deception. It brings shame and ultimately destruction in a person's life. So for the Christian, we got to keep it out. I mean, to the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus called her a dog. Well, first of all, if you look at it, I mean, could you imagine? You got up and came to church today, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm walking down the hall, and you're like, hey, pastor, pastor. And I just totally, I mean, 
Mark's like, hey, pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm just like, I, don't even, I just don't even acknowledge him. Most people be like, wait a minute. We pay that pastor. Man, when we say jump, he better say how high or I'm going to be, you know, right? So then all of a sudden, Mark's church, he's coming after me. And I just keep ignoring him. And, you know, he runs up to Pastor Edwin. He's like, you know, he runs up to Leanne. He runs up to Jeanette. Hey, he runs up to Rob. Rob, you're the head usher. Can you, can you get him? Finally, these guys are coming to me going, Pastor, can you just, can you tell this guy to leave? Right, so, so by that time, here's this, here's this guy. Mark is going, okay, this is the most unfriendly church in the world. I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to tell everybody how horrible this place is. She didn't do that either. She finally gets to Jesus. And Jesus looks at, could you imagine then Mark finally gets to me, he goes, hey, I really need your help. And I look at him and go, I'm not called to you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm called over here. I'm only called to Samantha and Alicia. I'm not called to you. Could you imagine that in the modern day church? This happened in Jesus' ministry. You'd think she'd be like, you're a jerk. No, she didn't. Because she had heard of Jesus. She was, a, she was a Syrophoenician woman. The Phoenicians study that culture. They worship Asterisk. They worship Balaam. They did human sacrifices. I mean, their, 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 their worship services were filled. In the Greek culture, they didn't call it heterosexual or homosexual. It was just sexual. So it was filled with all kinds of sexual perversions. It was filled with uh, fornication, adultery, uh, human sacrifice, sacrificing infants. It was super demonic. And this lady who lived in this culture, who had no covenant with God, through probably her lifestyle, opened some doors, because the Bible says the curse causeless does not come. There was a reason why a demon was able to get in her daughter. And she opened that door. But then, so now her daughter's grievously vexed of a devil. And she knew it. She knew this, this her child was demon-possessed. Why? Because she knew all about demon stuff. And she looked at her daughter, and then she heard of Jesus. He went about teaching and preaching and healing. And she went... And she is like, he's my answer. She was fully persuaded. Jesus ignored her. Jesus' disciples are coming. Can you tell her to leave? Then Jesus himself looks at her and goes, I'm not called to you. Then, after that, he calls her a dog. Which, now, Jesus, he didn't look at her and go, you dog. I actually, in the Greek, it's little dog. So he called her a puppy. So he was kind of easing it. <laughs> but, but what did that mean? What did the, the term dog? For the Jewish people, anyone else who was not a Jew, who had no covenant with God, they called him a dog. So he was being nice to her. He called her a little dog. But you know, a dog's still a dog, right? And yet, and look at her humility. Now this is, this is one of two examples in the ministry of Jesus of great faith. And she said, Master, Master. See, first she said, Son of David. That meant Messiah. She didn't even know what that meant. She was just trying to say it to manipulate him to get him to help her. But he, Jesus, moved her through all that to where now it's Master. Don't even the dogs, don't even the little puppies get the crumbs from the master's table. I just, I just need a crumb. Do you know a crumb? A crumb cast the devil out of her daughter in another place. Great faith. See, faith transcends the law. It transcends. You have no covenant with God? That's all right. 
Because faith always has and always will move God. I'm telling you, this is amazing. It says in, in Hebrews, go, go jump, jump back a chapter. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. I don't think I told you it's chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 12 of Hebrews, it says, Take heed, brethren, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, unpersuadableness, rebellious disobedience, faithlessness, in departing from the living God. You know an example of that is? You know what, you know what unpersuadableness is? Rebellious disobedience. You know what it looks like? Faithlessness. It's basically saying, this is the example from the Old Testament, the children of Israel. It's basically saying that we cannot have what God said he gave us. Ouch. Jesus said, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, right? Christ hath, past tense, redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. According to Deuteronomy 28, which lays out the curse of the law, it includes spiritual death, sickness and disease, poverty and lack. We've been redeemed. He sent his word and healed us. Psalm 103. Don't forget all of his benefits. Who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases. Yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor. God heals some and not others. Hmm. Really? Anybody who would teach that, that's not another gospel. That is a perversion straight from the pit of hell. To say that God would do something for one person and not another person, brother, you or sister, you better come with some scriptures because that's not who God is. That's not another gospel. That is a perversion. God is good to all, right? Hebrews chapter 3, you're in chapter 3, go to verse 19. It says, so we see that they could not enter in. Why? The children of Israel could not enter into the promised land because of unbelief, because they were unpersuadable, because of their own rebellious disobedience. It caused them to be faithless. So, if fear, which is expressed in doubt, it's expressed in questioning, is present, then you are in unbelief. If you're questioning, why is this happening to me? You're in unbelief. So get out of it. You're being unpersuadable, because God already said, Right? Why, let me answer that question. Well, why is this happening to me? Have you ever been believing God for something? Let's say you have pain somewhere. Let's say you have, you have a knee problem. And, and your knee is just, you, you kind of are limping a little bit. Don't you notice everyone who walks without, without any limp? You're like, wow, look at that person. And then, then all of a sudden, these, thing, these thoughts, why? And then you'll run into people in church. And, and, and it's just like, they're all great. And then pretty soon Satan's like, yeah, you know, hey, did you notice you're the only one in this whole church that has this problem, right? And then you'll find somebody else that has the same issue as you. They come up. They don't even know God. They're not really even serving God. We lay hands on them. They get healed like that. And then Satan's like, see, God loves them but doesn't love you. All of its lies. And, and, and the reality of it is, because the Holy Spirit will be right down on the inside of you going, don't believe that stuff. I'm no respecter of person. What I've provided for one, I've provided for all. It's right there. But you have to choose to believe. Now, you should all just say thank you so much, Pastor, for this, because I could have just saved you a ton of money. You, you don't have to, you, you don't have to, you could stop spending thousands of dollars on a counselor because it doesn't matter if you're going to a counselor three times a week. If you refuse to believe God, it won't do you any good. You have to make a decision. Am I going to believe God or not? All of us are in that same boat, right? 
So because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. We're all in the same boat, right? The enemy comes at me the same way he comes at you, but we, are, we have more than enough in God. So this is huge. Here's the thing. You want to get unbelief out of your life? Yes, pastor, I do. Okay, here's your answer. Meditating in God's word will drive unbelief out of your life. If you got around me, if you, if you were around me, around the, a myriad of people that I meet with and that I talk to and I come in and out of their lives, they think randomly, but it's very calculated. You know, my ministry as a pastor is I equip believers. But man, I have this passion in my heart because I was lost and now I'm found. As a child of God, I'm witnessing to a lot of people. And, I, and I'm not looking at myself to, to bear the fruit. I understand that the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit. He's going to bear it through me. But this is what I do with everybody. Whether they're a Christian that wants nothing to do with God, they've been hurt, whether they don't know God, I'm always like this. Just start reading your Bible. Just start reading your Bible. This is where I want you to read. Don't, and, and don't worry if you don't understand it. It's okay. But if you have questions, I'll answer them. Just start reading your Bible. Why? Because Jesus is the Word. And if they'll start, if they'll start feeding on God, if they're not saved, they'll get saved. Right? But if they want to sit here their whole life and say no, God, God will always woo them, but they will be lost forever if they don't decide to believe. Meditating in God's word will drive out the unbelief. In you as a believer, it'll drive it out. So this is how it works. I meditate in God's word until God's word on the inside of me eclipses, completely eclipses the fear, the circumstances, the symptoms that are on the outside. God's word is bigger and it's greater. It will eclipse it. Pretty soon you'll start seeing yourself well. You'll see yourself delivered. You'll see yourself with the answer. When that happens, this is what happens to you. Then the peace of God will rule in your heart, which will cause you to be at rest. So I meditate in the word of God until the word on the inside eclipses the circumstances that I'm facing. At this point, the peace of God, which flows out of righteousness, will now, it'll be like an umpire in my heart. It'll, it'll mount guard over my heart and over my mind. It'll rule in my heart, which causes me to be at rest. That's how it works. Isaiah 32, 17 is a wonderful scripture. This should be underlined, highlighted. Isaiah 32, 17 says this, and the work of righteousness, this word work means and the action of righteousness shall be peace. As you, as you walk in your righteousness, peace flows out of righteousness. It's amazing. And then it says this, and the effect or the result of righteousness, what is it? It's quietness and assurance. How long? Forever. See, quietness, that sounds a lot like rest. Assurance this Hebrew word literally means confidence. It means hope, and it means safety. So if you're suffering any kind of loss in your life, this is the antidote. See, peace, but realize this, peace is not a feeling. Because when you start to walk in the peace of God, the enemy will try to talk you into it's a feeling, so that when you don't feel at peace, you'll think you're not at peace. But peace is not a feeling. Got to go deeper than that. Feelings are a result of peace. Always remember that. So if you just give, you just walk in, Father, I thank you for who you've made me in Christ. That he was made to be sin, 
and I've been made your very righteousness. If righteousness was a tree, peace would be the fruit of it. And the peace and this, this quiet assurance, this safe place, this thing that gives me hope, this, this faith is birthed here. It's a rest. Our strength flows from our confidence in God, which is expressed in rest. Let me say that again. When the Lord said that to me, I could still remember. Our strength flows from our confidence in God, which is expressed in rest. Wow. Nothing ever happens good in worry. Everything good happens at rest or in rest. When you go to sleep tonight, if you're not resting on the inside, it doesn't matter how much sleep you get, you're not resting on the outside. When you enter God's rest, then he's able to work on your behalf. See, God can't work if you're working. Why? Because if you're trying to work something out, he'd have to violate your will to come in and fix it. He's got to let you let go of it. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 22, it says this. Hebrews 10, verse 22. You're over in Hebrews. Just jump seven more chapters. This tells us how to approach God. Hebrews 10, 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at what it says. It says in the Amplified, let us approach God with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is how we approach God, with a true and sincere heart in unqualified assurance and faith. Listen, I am complete, what, what I am here is I am fully persuaded that what God said is true. So when I come to him, see, think about it. You know what's impossible for you as a Christian? It's impossible for you to ever pray anything that God hasn't already taken care of. Everything that you're going to ask God for in prayer, he's already provided for you. It's already done. Isn't that interesting? He already knew that you were going to need it. Do you know he knows everything you'll ever need in this life all the days you are, will be on the earth? This is why the word ask, it literally in the New Testament, in almost every case, it means to call for, to make a demand for, and require. I'm not going to God, God, I'm sick, will you please heal me? No, he doesn't answer that prayer. It's not prayed according to his will because he's already provided healing for me. So what I do is I go to God and say, Father, there are lying symptoms in my body. I've been diagnosed with this, and i got to tell you, I, I require my healing. I'm making a demand for it. I'm calling for it. So, Father, right now I just believe that I receive according to this word, that word, this word, right? According to Galatians 3.13, according to, what, Matthew 8.17. Oh, you can go on and on and on. I call for my healing, and right now I just believe that I receive it. And I thank you for it, sir. I declare in Jesus' name that I'm healed. I don't declare that I'm not sick. I declare I'm healed. And then Satan, in the name of Jesus, I know you can hear me. You and all your little demons and all your principalities and powers, I have authority in the name of Jesus, and I bind you, and I command you to take your hands off my body. And now symptoms, I know you have ears. Migraine headaches could hear, arthritis can hear, cancer can hear, diabetes can hear. All these things have ears. So now I'm speaking to you in the name of Jesus. I command you to leave my body. And now body, in Jesus' name, you work perfectly. Father, I thank you. I'm healed. That's it. 
I'm not trying to seek anything. And so now as I meditate on these scriptures, what will I do between the time I believed I received until the time I actually see it in my body and the symptoms are all gone, everything's restored, all this stuff. What do I do? I thank him. I keep the switch of faith turned on. I just thank him. Father, I thank you that Jesus himself bore my sickness and carried my pain. By his stripes, I'm healed. And I just don't move from there. Why? Because I'm fully persuaded that what he said is the final word. So I'm not going to try to figure it out. And as I meditate in those scriptures on healing, the faith in my heart will literally motivate me on what to act on, what to do. Right? Sometimes, if I'm not feeling good, you know, down on the inside of me. I'm not looking on the outside. I'm not looking at my feelings. I'm not looking at the symptoms. On the outside, the Holy Spirit's going, you need to stay home today and rest. The enemy will be on your shoulder going, oh, I thought you were believing that you were healed. Has nothing to do with any of it. Right? But someday you might get up and just feel bad. And the Holy Spirit's down on the inside going, well, people should be up today. And you'll go to work. And you'll be speaking the word the whole time. I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Symptoms, I command you to leave my body. I'm healed in Jesus' name. You're keeping your faith to yourself, right? You don't need to open up that door to other people that don't understand. Don't, don't go telling Aunt Agnes, who's never, you know, the worry ward of the family, right? No, right? Aunt, Aunt Agnes will get on the prayer chain and every unbelief person you know will be calling you up. How you feeling? How you feeling? <laughs> right? No, no. And you'll go to work, and you'll be believing God. You might be sweating. You might be doing all this stuff. But guess what? The strength of God will be there. Those symptoms will leave you, and you'll be okay. And you just keep your eye on the ball. I'm healed. Why? Because God said, yeah, but what about this? What about... No, no, I don't, I don't consider anything else. Hebrews 10.23 says... Let us hold fast. That means cease hold of what? The profession of our faith without wavering. Now, I've got to say this. The word our is not, if you look at a King James Version, that word is in italics because it was not in the original manuscript. It was added by the translator to bring clarity, but I disagree with it. It reads in the literal Greek, let us hold fast the profession of faith without wavering. I'm not trying to stand in my faith. I'm standing. I live and stand and walk by the faith of God. It's his faith. He gave it to me. He gave me a measure of it. Man, as I, as I meditate in the word, as I walk this out, it just progressively gets stronger and bigger and greater in me, right? So it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. The Amplified Version says it this way, let us seize hold, or let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to do his word. In other words, he watches over his word to perform it in our lives. So Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, I love this, verse 28. We're kind of coming down the road here. Just give me a few more minutes. You guys are staying. You know, you're doing great today. You're just really doing great. You could see, you just, you could sense the hunger. It makes me hungry. I mean, I'm like preaching. I'm going, oh, this is so good, right? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I love this. Jesus speaking, he says, Come unto me, all you that labor. This word labor means in the Greek to be worn out because you've been toiling. Come unto me. You've been toiling lately? Come to Jesus. Stop it today. Don't play church. Don't play games. He doesn't want you to toil. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. This word heavy laden, that phrase in the Greek, it means overloaded with a heavy burden that is too big for a person to carry. And it says, and I 
will talk to you about the mess that you've created. It doesn't say that. It says, and I will give you rest. Wow. This word rest, it literally means a quiet ceasing that refreshes you. See, the rest of God causes you to just be quiet, causes you to seek or to cease from your own works, and it brings refreshing. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. The Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke. The word yoke, a rabbi's yoke, was his doctrine. Jesus is saying, the anointing that comes out of me will destroy the enemy's yoke upon you, his doctrine. You're not enough. You blew it. You'll never be anything. You're going to die. All this stuff. That yoke, the anointing will destroy it. Jesus says, take my yoke. My yoke is, you're going to live long on the earth and declare the works of the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. You can do all things through me who strengthens you. That's his yoke. Take my yoke, my doctrine upon you, and learn, or this Greek word means gain understanding of me. For I am meek, that means mild, and lowly, that means humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. So many believers are so stressed they're, they're, just, they're just beating themselves up for all these things that, that's going on in their life and all of it, the rest of God, God will remove all of it if you'll just be willing and obedient and stop trying to do it yourself. Do you have any problems in your life? Are you looking at stuff on the computers that maybe you shouldn't and it's grown into an addiction? Are you, are you drinking alcohol and, and, and it went from a glass of wine here and there to now you're always thinking about that next drink and it's become an addiction? Are there any drugs that, that whether it be prescribed or not that you're addicted to? Cigarettes, anything. Here's a big one, overeating. Do you, instead of eating to live, live to eat? Right? Yeah, we laugh. Man, I got to tell you, you could look at me. That's me. That was me. But I'm changing in that area. You know? It's all of it is right here. Take my yoke upon you. Here's the yoke of Jesus. Tony, you can do all things. To the person who smokes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So what do you do? He's already delivered you. So every time you light up a cigarette... Father, I thank you that I've been delivered from smoking. Father, I thank you. Pretty soon, you won't be smoking. But not because you were so strong and you gave it up. And then once you give all this stuff up, you'll realize, oh my gosh, I'm not any better of a Christian. Darn, I really thought I was going to be better. No, no, Satan will always try to beat you up until one day you realize, wait a minute, I always was the apple of his eye. As a matter of fact, it never was dependent upon what I was doing. It was dependent upon what Jesus does. Right? He says, for my yoke is easy. That means it's gentle. It's easy to use. It furnishes what is needed. It's profitable. This is what this Greek word means. It's good for any use. And my burden is light. It's easy to bear. Isn't that good news?